Okay, turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. The, uh, the football the divisional playoffs of this weekend, two games were played yesterday, two more today. Uh, I believe the first game today is going to be Kansas City and Houston. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine as you, uh, as you sit down to watch the game or if you don't watch the game, I want you to imagine, how many of you heard of Patrick Mahomes? Okay. Patrick Mahomes is, I, I guess, I, maybe with the exception of uh, Lamar Jackson, which last night wasn't anything to write about. Probably the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he was the most valuable player last year. He is an he is an incredible talent. The way he can throw football, his athletic ability, there is no doubt about it. He is not he is one of the best, if not the best, quarterback. So here's what I want you to imagine today, as the, as they line up against Houston, um, uh, Houston kicks off, and uh, the kick goes out of the end zone, and so Kansas City will take the ball on the 25. Houston's defensive team comes out and they start lining up. And outruns Patrick Mahomes. And he's the only one. Patrick Mahomes. Undoubtedly a phenomenal athlete. Probably the best quarterback in the NFL. And only he comes out onto the field. What are his chances? Uh, what are their chances of winning? With just Patrick Mahomes. As good as he is, they don't, it wouldn't stand a chance. Obviously. And maybe that's a silly illustration but, but in many ways, that is, in fact, how many Christians are trying to live their Christian life. They're trying to do it all on their own. And you, you may be very gifted. You may be, may be very talented. Um, but I think the Bible tells us that, that to live a Christian life or living the Christian life or being part of the church, it, it is a team endeavor. God has developed a team and has designed us to operate within a team. Um, now, as we come to Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18, this is the kind of part, the part of the Bible, that when we come to it, after the meat of the word, we kind of skip over. Because he starts listing, this is very typical of Paul, he starts listing, list, li, listing names. Uh, say hi, or, you know, greet so-and-so and say hello. It's almost like a New Testament phone book, you know, you guys remember what phone books were? Okay. Um, and we have and we have to. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Now it's truly a phone book, isn't it? Um, but but he lists all these names, and we have a tendency to to kind of gloss over it and just or, or just ignore it. When in fact, this is uh, I think very important for us and gives us some very important insights, not just in terms of uh, the Christian life. But in terms of how we got our Bible, I think it's going to be interesting today. Hopefully it'll be interesting to you today. So what we want to do is look at Paul's team. Because Paul didn't go out there all by himself. Obviously, Paul was the apostle, the apostle's apostle. Um, he uh, undoubtedly was the, probably the greatest figure uh, of the New Testament, obviously other than Jesus. Uh, how did he do it? Well, he did it with a team. He didn't do it by himself. So let's look at verse 7. At the very end of this book, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, 
Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, and they will tell you of everything that has taken place. So the first two members of his team he introduces to us are Tychicus and Onesimus. This is, I'd say, these were people who were messengers. Or you could say these were co-workers. Um, who's the first person? He says Tychicus. Uh, how does he describe, how is Tychicus described? He's described as a what? A beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. So I take this to be very much of a co-worker. Uh, in fact, uh, you're gonna, we're going to skip around a little bit to some other passages, so take your Bible ribbon, put it in here, Acts 20, verse 4. Paul again, um, he de- he's departing from Macedonia, and again, he lists men in his team, and he says, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So we have Tychicus was from Asia. Now, where, where would Asia have been? What churches? Yeah, yeah. but it, what would have been there, Asia? Probably, it, it may have been, it, it may in fact have been um, Lystra or Derby, maybe even Antioch. But if, if it's from Asia, what, would, what missionary journey would that have been for Paul? You remember back in Acts? Starts with his first missionary journey, he went to Asia. So Tychicus would have been someone who had come to know the Lord early in Paul's ministry and, and, and probably traveled with him throughout the rest of his ministry. So Tychicus was a, a, a very important person on his team. Uh, look at Titus 3.12. First Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus 3.12. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to, to, to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Again, we see, we see Paul listing team members all, all over the time, all over the place. But even in this letter to Titus, we see Tychicus who is being a messenger. He's being sent um, and is giving information. Now go back to second, or go back to Colossians. And what was his job? That was what that was his description. But what was his duty? In Colossians four, verse seven and eight, what was his duty? To bring information and to encourage them. So he was a messenger. And we we saw it in um, and we see it in, in Titus as well. Often Paul would use Tychicus to send messages, but we're going to see here in a minute it wasn't just messages that he sent, but he carried with him this letter. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but but turn look at the end of chapter four in verse sixteen. 
And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So we get really an interesting insight into how these, how what we now call the book of Colossians was a letter that Paul wrote that he wanted to, to send to the church in Colossae, which we just spent many weeks studying, and he wanted to give them information on how Paul was doing, but he carried this letter. And probably also a letter had been sent to the church in Laodicea. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's fascinating to me to see how the beginning of the dissemination of the Word of God and, and that each church would have written and made their own copy. Uh, as a side note, someone would read this aloud in their churches. So what we've just studied in terms of Colossians, this letter, this letter would have been read aloud in the church. So keep that in mind. So the first member of his team is Tychicus. Tychicus was... Now, with Paul from the very beginning, was a valuable team member in terms of just disseminating information, uh, carrying letters that we now call the Bible to and from churches. Um, And uh, finally, his description is he was uh, an encouragement to Paul. And we're going to look at that more in a minute. Now, who's the second person mentioned? And verse 9, and with Onesimus. Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, does anybody know who Onesimus was? All right. Turn to Philemon. Now, Philemon is, you go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Philemon, it's right before Hebrews. And if, and if you're not careful, you're going to skip right over it. By the way, he is described in, um, in Colossians 4.9, who is one of you. So Onesimus, we know, was from Colossae because he says he is one of you. But in Philemon, look with me. Is everybody there? Did you find it? Any who's read? Who's ever read Philemon? Okay, a few people. Okay. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, and then he gives some greetings. I thank God always and remember you. And look down at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do um, what is required, yet for love's sake I, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And uh, uh, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Who was Onesimus? He was Philemon's Philemon's slave. Now, remember last week. Was it last week or the week before? I said, be careful. Don't import, um, you know, uh, 19th century slavery in America back to their day. There were some similarities, but... For, for the vast, for, for the for the most part, they were very, very different. There were there were many. There's many, many different kinds of slaves uh, in the in the New Testament time, and certainly within Rome. Um, most of them lived in the house and were were considered family. And it's interesting that he he lists Onesimus on his team. So Onesimus was a slave, and somehow he had probably run away or had left Colossae, and had in God's providence had come into contact with Paul. 
and had become a believer, and not just become a believer, but had become an important person in Paul's, to, to Paul in his ministry. Again, in Colossians, he says that Onesimus, in fact, also was a source of encouragement to me, or to him. So he has a slave on his team. Um, Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, the importance, the, the importance that these men played in the life of Paul. Nearly everybody's heard of Paul. How many people have heard of Tychicus and Onesimus? And yet, where would we be today if, without men like them who carried these letters from church to church? Because Paul, Paul spent the vast majority, I would say vast majority, he spent a great deal of his life in jail or running from, for his life. He didn't have time, nor did he have the capacity, certainly back then, to travel. Think of it. To, to minister, to plant churches, and then go constantly be sending, taking letters to and from churches, it was impossible for him to do that. He had some very valuable men around him, some very valuable people who did that for him and who God used, in fact, to help us by transmitting the Scriptures to us. So the first men were messengers. And the influence that they had, and no one knows their names. Everybody knows Paul. But no one knows their names, and yet they were vital team members, not just for the mission then, but for what we now hold in our hands as much of the New Testament. People who were messengers. The second group, I guess, or the list of men, were people who were encouragers. Um, Look with me at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions... If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Um, three names are listed. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. Who is Aristarchus? Uh, if you remember, we just read Acts 20, verse 4. Again, he was from, anybody remember where he was from? Acts 24, he was from Thessalonica. What mission trip would that have been? Maybe third. So Aristarchus came, he he came to know the Lord a little later, but he joined the team probably during uh, Paul's second missionary journey. Um, And how is he described here? As a fellow prisoner, he's in the clink too. He's in prison too, so he can't take the letters. He's in jail too. In fact, this is the same Aristarchus who almost almost lost his life in the riot in Ephesus. A very valuable member of his team. Um, and he was, in fact, if, if in fact uh, Paul wrote these letters from prison, his first imprisonment in Rome, um, there's some doubt about that. I, there's some arguments, by the way, that he may have been in Caesarea. Uh, in his Caesarean imprisonment was almost three years uh, long. Um, but in any event, we, 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 whatever the case, Aristarchus was in jail with him, uh, which leads me to believe. Uh, what does that tell you? Well, that, what does that tell you about Aristarchus? Uh, a very important co-worker. And then he lists Mark, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Tell me some things that you know about Mark. 
What's that? Okay, yeah, Barnabas. He was, Mark was the source of that sharp disagreement um, between Paul and Barnabas, and and uh, because in the first missionary journey when they when they got to Perga, um, we don't know, but John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. Paul interpreted that as desertion. Um, Paul interpreted that as defection. He interpreted that not as a positive thing. And so when he, want, when he was getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, and Paul said, absolutely not. No way. He's not going to be part of my team. They had such a sharp disagreement that Barnabas took uh, Mark and went to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from, and Paul again took, uh, I think, believe it was Titus. Um, or no, he took, uh, yes, who, Silas. He took Silas and uh, began his second missionary journey. And it's interesting that over the period of time, uh, l- listen to what Paul says now about Mark. The, the very man who he interpreted as having deserted them in their first missionary journey, look how he describes him in Colossians chapter 4. Um, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. So they had probably received some prior instructions that if he comes to you, what? Welcome him. Now, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit here. Maybe Mark had gotten this reputation of being kind of a flake. And maybe they had heard about what happened in that first missionary journey. And, and maybe he had, and so Paul is reminding him, you, you need to welcome him. And there's a very important reason why he wanted him to welcome him. Because if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, where is it? Yes, verse 11. He says, get Mark. This is, this is the end of Paul's life. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for my ministry. It, it, it would be fascinating to know how from the, the time, in, probably in a period of uh, 12 to 15 years maybe, how Mark went from persona non grata with Paul to now at the very end of his life he's saying, please bring Mark with you. He's very useful to me in my ministry. So once again, team. But then, again, I want you, I want you to look at the reconciliation had go, that had gone on between him and Mark. And that at the end of his life, Mark, in fact, was the one he mentioned on several different occasions uh, as being very useful and very important to him in terms of his team. And then in Colossians, we have one last person in this group, Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, Jesus was a very common Jewish name. Um, it would be Joshua, basically. Um, and that's why when, when, when we hear the name Jesus, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a special name to us. But, but again, in that, that first Christmas night, when the angels announced the the, the birth of Joshua, uh, probably Bethlehem was saying, well, oh, great, we have 30 Joshuas already. How are we going to know which Joshua this was? Very be like the name John today. Very common, just a very common name. There was nothing special about it. It's just a very common Jewish name. Now, we don't know anything about justice. Um, that, that's who they 
called him. That's what they called him, which is interesting to me. They probably called him that from the standpoint of wanting maybe he I, I, again, this is just pure speculation. Maybe he's, I don't want to be I don't want to be called the same name as my Lord. Call me justice. I don't know. But how are they described? What does Paul say about these three men? In Colossians chapter four. They have been an encouragement to me, and they these are the only men of the circumcision. These are the only Jewish men that were part of my team. So he had Gentiles and he had Jews, or you know, former Jews on his team. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. Little else is known of Justice again, but we do know that he was Jewish. And we do that all three of these men were, as Paul says, were a great comfort to him. Which leads me to the point of the importance of encouragers. The importance of encouragement. And I've told you this before, but I've been in several churches and, and, and you know, you, you take these spiritual gift inventories and you find out what your spiritual gift is. Um, and, and, then, and then they say, okay, based on your spiritual gift, here's the role that you play. Um, and, and so often, um, the, the only role or the, your role in the church is based on some kind of gift or ability. But I see that there were men in, in, that, that served functions on Paul's team where they did things that didn't depend on giftedness or ability. In other words, this is something that any and every one of us can and should do. You, you, you can't say, I don't have the gift of encouragement. Um, let's some representatives. I'm running out of time. Romans one. I can just read these if you'd like. Romans one eleven and twelve. He says, um, "For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine." Uh, Romans fifteen four through five. He says, "For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction." that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are a source of encouragement to us. We might have hope. And now may the God of endurance and encouragement, God Himself is an encourager, the God of encouragement. The source of encour- God is a source of encouragement of the Scripture, or um, may grant you to live in harmony with one another. And in fact, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What did Paul pray? What did, what did Paul communicate to them? For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that lay out a sea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. He prayed that their hearts would be encouraged. Ephesians 6.22 I have sent him, he's talking about Tychicus again, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now we could go on and on and on. We desperately need encouragement. Every single one of us. You know, this is not a function in the church. This is not a, a, a job description. This is a vital ministry that we all must be doing with each other in this church. 
encouraging each other. And what's the implication? When the Bible talks so much about the need for encouragement, what's the implication? Discouragement. But discouragement is rampant. I have to battle discouragement every day, every week it seems. What's one of the reasons why we come and fellowship together? It's to hear the Word. It's to worship and sure. But we need to encourage each other. As I said earlier in the service, we all experience setbacks and unexpected things and things that we wish weren't the way they were. And we can become discouraged, whether it's physical or relational or financial, whatever. We need encouragement. And if you want a vital ministry in this church, be an encourager. Encourage people. Notice discouragement. Notice people. Encourage them. Paul had encouragers on his team. Chapter 4, verse 12. Another group, or another man, I guess I should say. Chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you? So Epaphras was from Colossae. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I want you to stop and I want you to notice. How many times we view prayer as, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I... Listen, prayer is a form of spiritual warfare. What is, what, isn't that interesting? Paul uses the same verb in Colossians 2 when he says, I'm struggling for you. And he says, Epaphras is struggling for you in his prayers for you. What does that mean? What does that tell you about prayer? That it, yeah, there, there is, there's opposition. Do you think it's just because you're, is it just because you're lazy that you don't pray more? No, probably not. It's spiritual warfare. You're gonna have to struggle to pray. Is is it just that, you know, the the duties of the day just kind of crowded it all out? And I didn't have time. I got home. And many of you I know are working very hard. You get home and you're tired. You know, you put the kids to bed. You put Isaiah to bed. And, and it, you know, you don't have much time left. It's a struggle. And then the kind of prayers we pray. Do you struggle? Do we struggle in our prayers when we pray for our missionaries? Do we struggle in prayer for them? Epaphras was struggling for them. In his prayers. Do you think that they are the only ones he prayed for? I guarantee he was praying for Paul too. And, and look, at the, look at the description of his, of his prayers. And much of like what we talked about last week. He is struggling, he says, on your behalf. Or he says, always. First of all, we talked about always. He was constantly praying, always praying for them. He was struggling for them. He was praying fervently. He said, on your behalf, which meant personally, how important it is that we, we, and one of the reasons why, where is it? Reasons why I put names on there, where, that's not it. Not that you knew. Now, why did I put the names of our missionaries on there? Why don't we just pray? Oh God, I pray for all the missionaries in the world. Why don't we pray that way? Or why shouldn't we pray that way? Now, let me back up. That's not a bad prayer. That's okay. But the prayers we see in the Bible are personal. They're praying for people. 
That's why we put these names on here. So we pray for our missionaries. We, we pray for them by name. He was saying that Epaphras is praying for you by name. It was personal on your behalf. It was intentional. He's saying he's praying that you may stand mature and fully assured in your faith. Which tells me one of the things I've, I've started in 2020 is I have a list of all of you. I have a dossier on every single one of you. And I am praying for you by name. Not every day, not every one of you by day, but I've divided the church up into groups. You know, the, the, the really nice people go here. David, you're down here somewhere. No, uh, seriously, this has convicted me. I can't just pray for crossroads. I need to pray for you by name. Listen, this is where the heavy lifting is done in the church, is through prayer. Colin, when my son, when he was on staff at a church in Alamosa, he said there was this, uh, this, this uh, widow who lived out in the... Her, they were farmers, and her husband had died. She lived out in the middle of nowhere. And he said often the time... Well, I guess Alamosa is kind of in the middle of nowhere, but she was really in the middle of nowhere. Um, and she wasn't... Very frequently, she just wasn't able to, to come to church. She obviously was too old to become involved in any kind of regular ministry anymore in the church. And, um, and Colin, said, Colin was telling me about uh, that, how constantly she prayed for, for living waters and the people of living waters and the needs, that that was her ministry. I remember Tom telling me about his mom. When his mom physically was just not able, uh, when she was uh, housebound almost, Tom, right? I mean, almost housebound, functionally housebound. Man, that, 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 that lady prayed like crazy. Prayer is something that has nothing to do with your gifts or abilities. That's something all of us can do. That's something all of us should do. But you've got to struggle. It's going to be a struggle. The importance of prayers in the church. Two men of contrast. Boy, I'm, I'm running behind. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Um. Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Two books of the New Testament. If you look at actual volume, a lot of, in terms of volume of the New Testament, a great deal of the New Testament was written by Luke. And here we have the one place where we have a description of who he was. What, who was Luke? He was the beloved... He was a physician. Um, again, Luke joined Paul's team very early. Uh, he was a vital member... Um, and he was Second uh, Corinthians or Second Timothy 4:11. It is said of him, Paul. Again, days before he's uh, he's going to be executed. Verse nine, he says, "Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia." Someone read ver- the first part of v- verse eleven out loud. What does it say? Only Luke is with me. Everybody needs a Luke in their life. Everybody needs a Luke that when everybody else leaves, when everybody else departs, when everybody else takes off and deserts you, you have a Luke. Everybody needs a Luke. Someone who will stick with you to the very end. And that's exactly what Luke did. And the contrast is Demas. 
Demas did not stick with him to the very end because we see, read that he fell in love with this world and departed. But Luke stuck with him. We need team members in the church who will stick with the church. And I'm not just talking about the local church. I'm not talking about this local expression. But I'm talking about the community of believers. You've got to stick to the end. And finally, verses 15 through 17, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Uh, and say to Archibus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I guess the last group I'd call people who sacrifice and serve. Um, he mentions um, a lady by the name of Nympha. Now, this Greek word can be, can be both masculine or feminine. Um, so some of our earlier uh, manuscripts uh, and translations translate this as Nymphus uh, in his house. Uh, most of our translations think it makes more, more sense that it's feminine. So we have Nympha, a, a woman. Husband's not mentioned if she is married. We don't even know if she's married or not. And the church, now it, it, it's unclear as to whether it's the church in Colossae that was meeting in her home or the church of Laodicea that was meeting in her home. Because if you look back at verse uh, 15, it said, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So the immediate antecedent is Laodicea. But for, from, from what I gather in these last few verses, and when I gather about uh, in chapter 1 of Colossae, that Epaphras probably pastored the three churches, the church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, and the church in Herapolis. Which is very common, by the way, in many parts of the world. You have some of these pastors in these remote areas who are pastoring five or six churches. Very quickly, I remember when I was in seminary, um, one of my Old Testament professors, his son was, a, uh, was doing a mission trip in, in Africa. And, and many of these African pastors were pastoring several churches. And, and the churches were in these villages that were, that were spread out. And so they, had a, they were raising money or they were raising people that would donate bikes so that these pastors could ride bikes from, from church to church because it was taking them a long time to walk and, it, and it, was, it was arduous for them. And so they were raising bikes. I thought, what, what an ingenious idea, you know, uh, to give them some mountain bikes. Um, that, so that's probably what Epaphras had done because we see a very much of an interconnectedness between Colossae, Laodicea, and Herapolis. But Nympha, so whether, whether it was in Laodicea or Colossae, it doesn't matter. What does she do? She opened her home. I know how stressed out my wife gets when someone's going to come to our house. All the things that need to be done. Got to vacuum, you know. Got to clean and dust and, you know. No, I help. Uh, but here's the point. Can you imagine... Week in, week out, daily, weekly, she opened her home to this church. What, what do you sacrifice when you continually open your home to, 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 to a group of people? What? Privacy? A certain degree of privacy? Sometimes you say, I just want to be alone. The servant heart of this woman. How valuable that was to this church. This, what a valuable team member she was. 
her hospitality, her sacrifice to continually open her home to this church, whether it be in Laodicea or Colossae. And then Archibus. We don't know who Archibus was. Maybe he was pastoring in, in Epaphras' place and maybe had become discouraged and was, was, was getting ready to quit. And so Paul encourages him. He says, um, you know, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. Hang in there, Archibus. So he's probably, I take this as he was probably uh, filling in for Epaphras because Epaphras was with Paul at this time. And Paul concludes by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. He's saying, remember to pray for me. And grace be with you. What do we get from all this? Let me make a statement, and then before you stone me for heresy, let me explain it. You can't get to heaven through other people. But you don't get to heaven without other people. Let me say it again. You can't get to heaven through others. Rachel can't get saved for me. So you can't get to heaven through others, but you don't get to heaven without others. Uh, in other words, God does not recognize the Lone Ranger Christian who pulls up his boots or her boots and says, I can do this all by myself. That's not the picture we have in, in the New Testament. That's not the picture we have of the Apostle Paul. The, the Apostle Paul doing this all by himself would have been equivalent to Patrick Mahomes trying to play the entire defense of Houston, I was going to say Houston Oilers, Houston Texans all by himself. You can't get to heaven through others, but you're not going to get to heaven without others. You're, yeah, you're saved, you'll get there. But understand what I'm trying to say is we need each other. We, we need each other. You need other people in your life. Other, you need people on your team to encourage you, to help you, to, be, to stay with you. You need to be on other people's teams. It, this is a team endeavor. This is not the only place in closing. If, 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 you, want to, if you want to read something that's just amazing, and most people just skip over it and they never read it, is the end of the book of Romans. This, 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 this unbelievable book on doctrine. And, and the book of Romans ends this way. Paul says, I commend you. I want you to listen to the names. I'm going to commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophane and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, 
Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. And then he just says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Don't tell me this isn't a team endeavor. This is a team sport. Paul, undoubtedly the apostle of all apostles, he needed a team around him. And each one of those players needed a team around them. And each one of those players needed a team around them. It's important that we understand that that you can't get to heaven through other people, but you won't get there without other people. Paul had a team. We need to continue to be a team for each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You've not designed nor created us to be lone rangers, to do it by ourselves. And I know sometimes it's hard for us. We don't want to... Uh, we feel like we don't want to burden other people. We don't... We, we, and uh, we, we don't want to um, uh, inconvenience them. Father, we need to be involved in each other's lives. We need to be great encouragers. We need to be servants. Um, Lord, all the different things, all the different players on these teams, we need to fulfill our roles in this team. I thank You for this church and the many things that I've read today certainly I I believe are going on. But help us uh, to continue to be a, a good team, a team of encouragers, of co-workers, that we would stick with each other to the end, that that we would be servants, that we would be hospitable, uh, that we would love each other and serve one another. Lord, these are the things that you desire. We thank you and we pray all these things indeed in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join me?